let's get into today. So I might just pray and uh, we'll get started. Jesus, thank you for being real and thanks for being with us today. Thanks that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And I pray that you'd be in a really special way with us today. Be with me as I speak. Be with my tongue. Help my tongue to speak well today. Help my brain to work well today. And I pray for our hearts, that our hearts would be soft, that uh, we would be good soil, uh, which you'll plant your truth into. Amen. Okay, so we're doing Redeeming Christmas, and I want to show you this little clip. I want to ask you the question this morning. We're just going to deal just for a little bit about the concept of evil. And you're kind of thinking, okay, what's that got to do with Christmas? Well, you'll find out in a minute, all right? The big question is, what do you actually think evil is? What's bad stuff? Well, check this clip out from 60 Minutes. Matt Satterlidge is not a bad person, just someone who made a very stupid, tragic mistake. Her foolish decision cost a life, and she's paying for it dearly. Off her head on drugs, Lynette got behind the wheel of a car and ploughed into a cyclist, a family man whose life couldn't have been more different to hers. Okay, and you're thinking, and the point of that is? Well, the point of that is this. It's interesting that they start there and they say, Lynette Satterlidge is not a bad person. What did she do? She was high on drugs, right? And she literally drove into a pack of uh, cyclists and killed the family man who was cycling, all right? Had kids, had a wife, gone, dead, because this lady was on drugs in a car. And the lead statement by the journo here is uh, she's not a bad person. I actually want to suggest to you that probably this, uh, what has actually happened, what Lynette has done is probably closer to the nature of evil uh, than most of us would think, all right? And uh, hopefully this will make sense. If you actually look scripturally at, uh, at sin in the Bible, you actually see some things like this. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, uh, God has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the... Corruption, right? Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Corrupt. So this is like, who's seen Spider-Man 3? A few people. You know Spider-Man 3? It's got that black blob that comes in from I don't even know where it comes from. It's gone to silly putty, gone crazy, demonically possessed, all right? And it's just going around doing stuff. This is the interesting thing. If evil is uh, a blob that just floats out in the universe somewhere, we just actually need to find it and destroy it. and We'll be sweet, won't we? All right, but the problem is that if you actually look at the Bible, evil is actually a corruption. Now, what kind of thing normally gets corrupted? What is it before it gets corrupted? It's actually good. It's actually really good. So this is the nature of sin. I mean, I don't know whether I'm going to say it this afternoon, but we're going to have the baptism with uh, Sophie Hinks this afternoon. And the truth is, I could actually say something about Sophie that goes like this. Sophie's not as good as she could have been. She's a lovely girl but she could have been much better, all right? And that is not even an insult because that's actually true of all of us. We're all not as good as we could have been. We actually could have been much better if we hadn't been corrupted. There's another scripture in 1 John 1, 9, which is a great one to memorize. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was reading a commentary about this this week and the uh, fellow said, the notion there of cleansing is actually one of uh, cleansing pollution. So in a sense, you could think about uh, the Brisbane River in its higher reaches 
and it's just got car bodies in it and it's got rubbish and plastic bags and all sorts of rubbish and it. it's polluted. You can think about the, uh, the oil spill of this big container ship that ran aground over near New Zealand where you've just got this pristine environment that's actually had diesel oil come out of this ship and wash ashore and you can see beautiful birds that are just, uh, just absolutely covered in this thick oil. That's the kind of thing that sin is. Sin is not this blob that needs to be destroyed. Sin is actually a corruption of something that's good. The interesting thing, just as an aside from 1 John 1 verse 9, is uh, this cleansing is not just from the unrighteousness that we have done. It's actually from the unrighteousness that other people have done to us. So this becomes especially relevant for anyone. And the stats about uh, sexual abuse for females are literally frightening. They're very, very high. And what's the typical knee-jerk reaction from someone who's been, uh, a lady who's been raped or uh, taken advantage of, is what do they want to do? They want to go home and they want to wash and they want to clean. There's a sense that they need to be cleansed and that they've been made dirty. Well, this is the beautiful thing about the forgiveness of Christ and the blood of Christ is it doesn't just cleanse from the sin that I've done to myself. It cleanses from the sin that other people have done to me and de-pollutes me. He pollutes me. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. He said, goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. And there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. The really cool thing about this is if evil is a blob, your only option is to destroy it. If evil is a corruption of something good, you actually get a shot at renewing it, depolluting it and redeeming it. Agreed? And that's exciting because that's actually the job for all of us, right? We're going to get into this a little bit more, but this is a job actually for all of us. God's actually got all of us on a redemption gig. That's our deal. And we're out there as God's tools, not just to redeem things around us that can be used for him, but actually to redeem people. So when you look at other people, you look at them and you just go, that person's really precious. Adolf Hitler is really precious. He's a corruption of something that was very good. And he could have been redeemed by God. God's only option is not to destroy evil people. His choice at this point in time is to redeem them. And that's something I reckon we should get really excited about. In fact, it may be a bit of a surprise to you, but uh, if you actually read your Bible carefully, it makes it pretty clear that God's going to bring heaven down to earth and he's going to burn the earth and he's going to purify it. And he's going to rebuild earth. So in a weird way, we all get to kick around on earth again, but the earth is kind of going to be heaven because God's going to be here. So even the earth doesn't get trashed. The earth gets purified, then it gets recreated. This is actually really, I reckon it's great. It means that sin uh, is not... I could get this wrong, right? So there's science. There's going to be a science nut somewhere here, here who'll know probably better than me, right? But I'm, I'm just going with this one. It means that sin is not bacteria. Bacteria can live on their own without a host, can't they? Is that right? But a virus can't. Agreed? How am I going? People going, oh, he's going to get himself tripped up here in a minute. You trained in manual arts, didn't you? Not science. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. We did a lot of bacterial work in manual arts. <clears throat> it's really only first aid bacterial work that we did in manual arts. But anyway, so here's the thing. Sin's like a virus. Sin needs a host. It doesn't exist on its own. It can't live on its own. And that is good news, folks. Now, I want to tie two concepts together. One, the concept of evil, and the other one, the concept of revelation. 
I would, ah, oh, see, my wife probably gets tired of it, right? But I have some really funky conversations with hairdressers, all right? I kid you not, it's been at least once where I've had a haircut and I'm going, that looks pretty good, but we're talking about good, but we're talking about Jesus, so keep going, all right? I think it needs to be shorter. And some of you just go, yeah, that, this was one of them, wasn't it? I got my hair cut on Friday afternoon and seriously, I was tired. I was, uh, I'm just be honest with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm just done. I just need to check out of life for a little bit in terms of work and stresses and all that sort of stuff. So I'm over there. I'm walking in. I'm just going, oh, I'd seriously, I just want to sit down. I don't want to say anything. We just, it's, but then that's awkward too, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of, have you ever, uh, the girls are going, well, well, never sit down and say nothing. Just always have a good yarn. Um, but, for me, I just thought, I don't know, it was kind of, I wouldn't mind having an introvert moment here. Like, if you'd, I'll just put a bag over my head, and, well, that'd be hard, because you've got to get your hair cut, but <laughs> let's put bags over each other's heads. Maybe she, you're going, looks like she did have one over her head when she was cutting her hair, but, and let's just not talk. But I'm, I've gone in and I've just thought, nah, well, I just started talking. And um, she was talking about some stuff, and then we got onto this whole thing of whether the earth just got here by its own causes, right? And one of the things I've been saying to one of my boys at home, he's been asking for some proofs of the existence of God. I'm just going, that's cool, I'm going to give you some. I said, right, here's one. Imagine grabbing a bucket out the back and just putting some dirt in it and then just shaking it for a long, long time and then you just get you and me, all right? Which some of you kind of go, that's a bit unfair, it's a bit more technical than that. It is, but it's actually worse than what I've just described because the soil's going to have some living organisms in it, right? There's no living organisms when the whole kind of evolution thing Inverted commas kicks off. So I, um, I just reckon I've got a hairdresser for 20 or 25 minutes, right? And seriously, you girls here who go for longer, how long do you go for? Like an hour and a half? They should be saved by the end of your haircut, seriously. <laughs> Shouldn't they? I'm thinking I've got 20, 25 minutes, right, to actually talk about Jesus with my hairdresser, right? So I'm sitting there yesterday, uh, Friday afternoon. And uh, I just I always kind of take it pretty slowly and just try to feel out kind of where they're at and just ask lots of questions and don't give too many opinions. You guys get all those on Sunday morning, but just ask lots of questions. So I'm sitting there and I'm just... And then I got to the point where I just said, this is really interesting, eh? I said, it's really interesting how people think that the whole world kind of got here without any anything kind of intelligent behind it. It's just kind of this random thing. She's going, yeah, it's just stupid, isn't it? I'm just going, look out, here we go. This is getting good. And then I started talking about David Attenborough's um, uh, Frozen Planet uh, show. Anyone been watching some of that? Pretty amazing stuff. What is fascinating about people who do nature docos is they can't help themselves talking about their being a designer or a creator. So he refers all the time to Mother Nature. So I'm talking to this hairdresser and I said, here's the thing, it's just, uh, you know, Attenborough was saying in the Frozen Planet, did you see it? No, I didn't see it. It was really cool, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and then I said... Uh, I mean, he just keeps talking about Mother Earth all the time, creating it. That's kind of the terminology he uses. And you're just kind of going, sorry, I'll even tell you what she says. She goes, Mother Earth? She goes, what the heck's that? Who's Mother Earth? I'm just going, yes, yes. So I'm going to start raising my hands at the hairdresser. All right? And uh, anyway, we just fought. Anyway, it turns out she's a, a very committed Catholic lady, and we just ended up having this discussion about religion. She said, I'm not really supposed to be talking about this. Apparently, there's some kind of hairdresser secret police, all right? And their deal is, at, at TAFE, they tell them you're not meant to talk about politics or religion at the hairdresser. And I'm just going, well, I'm causing every one of them to sin every time I get a haircut. 
so it was really, uh, it was really quite interesting. And uh, we got on to, and then I started talking about some of the Catholics that uh, come to the school here. And I just said, look, they're just a whole another breed to the Catholics that I've known before. And the only Catholics I've known are these kind of traditional, uh, ritualistic type Catholics. I said, I've come here and there's people that love Jesus, you know, and want a relationship with God. And she's going, what? I was just going, okay. That's where she got confused. But here's the thing. The reality is that you actually can learn things about who God is and what God is like from, from nature. And you actually find this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So I said to my kids uh, about three weeks ago, I said, right, here's the deal. What can you learn about God from a leaf? And we got something, all right? Because you should be able to learn something about God from a leaf. Fair enough? Now you can learn things like he is very, very precise. He's very detailed. He's actually probably really beautiful because he creates really beautiful things. We should be able to sit on the side of our veranda out there and look at the sunset through the valley and just go, man, God must be stunning. In a non-sexual way, God is really beautiful, really beautiful. And the weird thing about our culture is that we kind of make it everything about sex, but God's, God's just really beautiful because he creates beautiful things. All right? And in some way, if your wife's beautiful... That's a reflection of the fact that God loves beauty and that God is beautiful himself. And if your husband's handsome, you know, <laughs> same deal, all right? I'm not even going into it if you think he's not, all right? We're just going to leave that one. But you should be able to learn stuff about God by just observation, okay? But we also actually have special revelation, Hebrews 1 verse 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. See, the interesting thing is that God has revealed himself, especially in the Bible. And if one has got authority over the other, it's going to be the special revelation always has authority over general revelation. Okay. And uh, this is really important. So, there's a, there's a term that um, the reformers use called uh, uh, sola scriptura, and basically it means that scripture is the highest authority. All right? One thing that Mark Driscoll talks about it is he says, uh, we believe in sola scriptura, that scripture is the highest authority, not solo scriptura. All right? Now, if you went to hospital all right, and you got your anaesthetic put in, you're like 15 seconds away from going under for brain surgery, right? And you say to the brain surgeon, where did you get your degree or your doctorate, right? And he says, I don't have one. I just read the Bible. What are you going to do? <laughs> Pull the cannula out quick, all right? Get it out. Because the truth is that there is a, there's a whole lot of stuff that we can learn from general revelation, there are things that brain surgeons know about the brain that you're not going to find in the Bible. We don't think the Bible is the sole revelation of truth. We just think it's the most authoritative revelation of truth. So when your psychologists, for example, go out and do a research project, there's things that we can learn from them. When doctors go and do stuff, we can learn stuff from them. We can learn stuff from people who garden. 
That's not in the Bible. There's lots of stuff that we can learn through general revelation. The point is we just need to remember that the Bible actually is authoritative. So you've got an option with culture, and this is really important. If we want to be a really dynamic church in engaging with culture, you have to get good at knowing what you're going to accept from culture and what you're not, because what you're going to have is you're going to have evil and general revelation are going to get mixed up, all right? And uh, there'll be a temptation to receive some stuff that maybe you shouldn't receive or to reject some stuff that you should be receiving and maybe redeeming a little bit. And this is especially the case with Christmas. Absolutely. All right? Because there's, there's some stuff about Christmas that's really been messed. And there's going to be a message in a couple of weeks by Nathan Gilmore on, uh, on generosity because one thing that happens at Christmas time is massive materialism. People just out to buy stuff and to give gifts. I mean, it's one of my lines. I just think, what do you give to someone who's got it all? You know the answer to that? Nothing. Don't give them anything. All right? But no one says that in families these days because they think that you don't love them. All right? And I've said it in my family. And it's weird, you know? Like, it came up with my family one time, this whole thing of generosity. And they said, what do you want for Christmas? They're just going, well, I don't really need anything, so can you just contribute to a gospel centered mission just give them some money all right and it's just that that is like throwing a tiger in amongst a flock of pigeons right oh so we've got a pharisee now in the family you know and everyone else feels lousy because they want stuff and you just go i don't really want anything but and i've got to tell you it was as genuine as i get it was as genuine as i get all right but i'll tell you you could try that one that'd be a good one for fun when people say what do you want for christmas i just just make a donation to my compassion kid Jeez, you always have to wreck it. It will. It will wreck it, I'm telling you. So when you engage with culture and you've got evil, that's corrupted culture, you actually have to work out what you're going to do with it. All right? Now, there's actually two extremes to dealing with culture. One of them is syncretism. Let me tell you what syncretism is. Syncretism is when you accept too much of culture and you accept things that you probably shouldn't. Uh, the, sp- the specific dictionary def of syncretism is syncretism is where you've accepted things to the point where your original belief doesn't stand anymore and you've actually created a new belief. That's bad. We don't want to do that. All right? People start saying, oh, the project. Yeah, they've got a different Jesus to everyone else. That's bad. All right? We don't want a different Jesus. We want the real one, but we don't want a different one just because we're accepting too much stuff that's got issues. The other side is uh, sectarianism, and this is kind of a siege mentality kind of Christian thing, right? And this is where you're just kind of going, I'm going to become a hermit, I'm going to lock myself up in a house, and I'm not going to let any evil things happen. These are the people that quote scriptures like, think upon things that are pure and lovely and of good repute, right? And they just go, that's what you need to do, man, so you need to shut yourself off from all that stuff. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus hung out with drunkards and prostitutes. All right? Is Jesus actually going to see some things that are dodgy? Absolutely he is. In fact, if you're going to be part of God's rescuing anyone who's in a dodgy place, you're going to see some things that are dodgy. Now, you need to know whether you can handle that and whether it's going to work for you. But at the end of the day, actually uh, shutting yourself off from the rest of the world is not really going to work. All right? And it's certainly not going to get God's mission done. So you can see the two extremes. You just don't want to be at either end of those extremes. On the one hand, you've started a new faith. On the other hand, no one's getting saved because they're all evil people, right? 
which becomes a bit of a problem because your own family is going to do things that are evil and going to make you think bad thoughts every now and then. So unless you build a special padded room for them out the back of the house and lock it with a sheet to put food under uh, so that they can stay alive, there's going to be problems all over the place. So you can see sectarianism is not going to work either. Here's a helpful taxonomy for you to use, a helpful uh, set of categories for you to use, and I've been using these a little bit already. You can receive, reject, or redeem. All right? This is really important. You can receive, reject, or redeem. So for us, we're going to receive technology. I'm using a laptop here. I don't have a problem with it. It is not a baptised laptop. All right? It's not a Christian laptop. It's, uh, it's, it's a, in fact, if I baptised it, it would be a doorstop. All right? That's kind of what would happen to it. So there are things in society that we can just automatically receive. It's not evil in and of itself. Um, I can use it for, uh, for Bible teaching like I'm doing now, or I could use it for child pornography. It's not actually evil in and of itself. It's actually just something I can, I can receive. Um, we can get good information from uh, people who are in business. We can receive that information. Uh, there's lots of things from general revelation that is just good to just receive. All right? And we don't need to put it through a filter or a strainer. We just need to receive it. It's good stuff. Uh, there's quite a lot of teaching that goes on at the school here uh, that I do. That's, that's secular teaching, but it's good. I think you can see some the hints of it in the Bible, and you just receive it, and you can apply it, and it's really good stuff. On the other hand, there's things that we just outright need to reject. All right? If someone walks in here and says there are Christ, there's a Christian version of drug use, all right? and they're going to bring in a bag of marijuana, and we're all just going to have a smoke up on Sunday morning, right? That's not something we're going to receive or redeem. We're just going to reject that, all right, because we don't do that. I don't know whether anyone's saying that they think we do that yet. There's no Christian fornication, homosexuality. There's no Christian friends with benefits. Uh, there's no such thing as Christian adultery, uh, drunkenness. Uh, there's actually even no, no, there's certain types of dressing. There's certain types of dressing for women that the, uh, the, the, that Paul talks about in Corinthians that, you just need to be careful of. You don't receive it, you don't redeem it, you just reject it and you dress a different way. And I know that's controversial and I can feel the daggers, all right? Uh, and there's actually even, um, actually it may not be uh, some of Paul's stuff, it may be Peter's stuff actually in First Peter now that I think about it. In fact, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it's actually not appropriate for a man to dress in a way that makes him look like a woman, all right? I am absolutely just a Nazi about my boy's wearing my wife's shoes and her clothing, all right? It just doesn't happen, okay? It's just so uncool. It's just not happening, all right? And in fact, I've still got, I can still see it now, like six, seven years ago, some student at a swimming carnival came, boy came dressed in this skanky kind of long red dress at a swimming carnival because that's the colours of the house and I'm just going, oh, I just can't do it. I can't do it. just gets me, ah. <laughs> Okay. Your third one is to redeem it, all right? So, do... We've got some kids, but they don't, they don't fully understand at this point. Do Christians believe in sex? Yes, we do, all right? And we actually think it's fun, and we actually endorse it, okay? But we don't endorse it the way that culture endorses it. So we're actually... We are redeeming sexuality because we want to see it occur in a different context, uh, and we ask things like, how did God create it? What is God's plan for it? What's the purpose of marriage? Uh, and we, in a, in a sense, take sex back from culture. 
And I would suggest to you probably, and I don't want to get too controversial this morning, all right, and I'll leave that for another morning, but probably uh, it's not too far down the track where we're going to need to redeem marriage. I think probably we already need to, and it's not because of what the parliament decided uh, over the last couple of days. It's actually the way that marriage has been treated for a long time, probably. And the scary thing is that the stats in the church are virtually as bad as the stats outside the church, all right? And it's a bit like that scripture passage that talks about the fact that judgment is going to start with the house of God before it gets to anyone else. And I think maybe on this issue of marriage, (laughs) Christians need to stop standing up with their Lincoln placards, right? Because I watched the ABC News last night and there's all the Christians there saying how bad homosexual marriage is. I'm just going, well, look at what you've done to marriage over the last 20 years. You've trashed it. So just leave them alone. Get your own house in order. We've got a big problem. Agreed? So let's stop being judgmental and critical of them. It's like one of my boys had some kids from the raid were up yesterday and a couple of the uh, two girls and they just they said the F word, right? My boy came, oh, they, they said the F word. And I'm just going, yeah, well, you know, on the inside I'm just, I'm just thinking, well, they don't love Jesus, they don't have a regenerate heart, so why would you expect them to do anything else? You know, and it's like, as Christians, sometimes we stand up and go, oh, they're placards, we just go, oh, you're a bad person. All right, well, in a sense, why would you expect that they're going to do anything else? Because they haven't had their heart gener- regenerated by Christ. We have, and we're still divorcing at a rate of almost 50%. Woohoo! Do you see the problem? And seriously, I mean, I think Dick's going to be talking a bit about this next year. He's going to be preaching a little bit about culture and Christ. But seriously, this is one area that we need to redeem. From ourselves. Agreed? From ourselves. I had a, a friend of mine the other day announced his uh, engagement. And the person he's engaged to is divorced, and he's divorced. And I sat there and I thought, I'm just not really sure what emotion I'm meant to have right now. That's honestly how I felt. And I just thought, well, what emotion does God have? Is God, well, maybe God's excited that they're getting married. But if two become one, he's probably, I don't know, I think he's probably sad at the same time. Just like two people who became one with someone else and now trying to become one with each other, and so we've got two things have been trashed. I don't know, it's probably mixed emotions. Maybe you can complain later, send me some emails or something. All right. The truth is, uh, if we go into a couple of other applications, Facebook has pretty well been trashed. All right, there's some good stuff on Facebook, but we can actually redeem Facebook. One of the ways the project has redeemed Facebook is by having a group page which you can't comment on. All right, because we trust you, but we don't trust everyone else. All right, we just don't want to have dodgy comments on there, but we are going to use it. We're going to redeem it for something good. Okay, don't hear me say you're evil people. Well, you, you kind of are. We all are, but you know what I'm saying. See, we can redeem musical styles, uh, technology. uh, Things are just not bad all of the time. So the interesting question at this point in time is what would your default mode be? Are you someone who receives too much stuff and ends up morphing your uh, faith a little bit or are you someone who just rejects stuff all the time and uh, wants to make your own clothing 100%, juice your own vegetables and... Stay secluded from the world, homeschool. Not that there's anything wrong with that. All right? And just be absolutely shut off. Someone will complain about that for sure. 
So here's the thing, especially if you're a parent, your job is actually to, um, to redeem things, all right? Uh, and to help, if, if you're a parent, your job is actually to help your children to process how they are actually going to redeem it. So I'm walking down uh, one of the uh, hallways in uh, Clifford Gardens, and um, we walk past bras and things, right? Which I'd, oh, I'm going to try and avoid it, right? Because it's kind of scary having a partially clothed woman that's twice your size uh, in a window, all right, but that's kind of what they have there all the time. But, but we're walking down the hallway, and I'm thinking, teaching moment. My boys don't have that much testosterone kicking around in them at the moment, so I'm going to take the moment, right? So there's a lady, and they've taken a photo of her when she doesn't have any clothes on, just her underwear, and they think that's going to be good to sell things, all right? So it's in the window, so I pull up, I've got all my boys there, all right? And I say, boys, have a look at that photo. If they were 13, I wouldn't do it, all right? But they're not. They're not, and uh, they still think it's really funny when they see the top of my underpants at the back of my pants, all right? That's just how it is. So I said, boys, have a look at that photo, and they're just going, all right, yeah, so what? I'm just going, what do you reckon about it? They go, oh, I don't know, all right? It's kind of single-syllable thing. They're working on the teenage, teenage boy thing. And, um, and I said, what do you reckon about that? And I said, uh, have you ever seen mummy come to the shops just in her underwear? All right? They're going... Oh, no, no, we haven't seen that. And I'm glad about that, because if they said, yeah, yeah, we did last Tuesday, that would be a problem, all right? But they said, no, no. I said, what do you reckon it would be like if mummy actually came to the shops in her underwear? I said, well, that would be really bad. That wouldn't be appropriate. I said, well, what do you reckon about that sign over there, that, that poster over there? Do you think that's good? And they're going, that's not good at all. Ladies shouldn't be in the shops in their underwear, all right? And some of you are going, I think I've seen some. But here's the point, uh, that's just a little example of where, uh, just wait till I'm finished the gag. Look at them, they're sitting, they're sitting. I hope they like each other, they're facing each other and laughing at each other. Um, anyway, that's just a little example of the fact that kids actually need you to process for them and help them to redeem things, all right? Um, I remember uh, walking into our TV room one day and the kids are watching Batman, right? And I kid you not, it's like Batman, Superman and some other man in this show, in this animated thing, and they're all fighting each other, right? And I walked in and I've just gone, what the heck's going on here? They're not meant to be fighting each other, they're meant to be fighting the bad dudes, right? And, uh, and Geordie says to me, he says, oh yeah, he said, it's really weird, it's really stupid, I don't know why they're doing it. I said, you know, that thing happens in the church all the time, where people fight each other. I said, and they're not meant to be fighting each other. They're meant to be fighting the devil and getting out there and doing what Jesus wants them to do, but they're not fighting each other and they're going, oh, yeah. So here's a big question for you. How are you and I redeeming Christmas? Well, we're going to fire this up today. I've got some cool, uh, cool Christmas things here. One of them is this one. Uh, Timmy discovers there really is a Santa and he's kind of a jerk. Are one of you idiots going to drop that sack down here or do I have to bust some heads? That's a nice little photo of a plane. You like that one? And what are you going to do if this Santa comes down your chimney? Seriously. This is in the paper on Friday. One of those ladies, I think it's this lady over here is holding an $80,000 submachine gun, right? Pretty sure that's not Santa and the elves that you want coming down your chimney on Christmas night. All right? So the question is, and what we're going to look at for the rest of today, is what do we do with Santa? All right? He's more famous than Jesus. So what do we do with him? Well, there's three options. 
the way I see it. You can reject it, you can receive it, or you can redeem it. What are you doing then? Well, there's a lot of Christians who actually just flat out plain reject him. All right? But I actually think there's some stuff about Santa that you can redeem. So I'm going to give you two strategies today about how to deal with Santa. One of them is to redeem him. Let me give you some truth about St. Nick. All right? Santa goes all the way back to St. Nicholas. Okay? Uh, Nicholas was born in the third century uh, in Patara, a village in uh, what is now Turkey. He was born into an affluent family, but his parents died tragically when he was quite young. His parents had raised him to be a devout Christian, which led him to spend his great inheritance on helping the poor, especially children. He was known to frequently give gifts to children, sometimes even hanging socks filled with treats and presents. Perhaps his most famous act of kindness was helping three sisters because their family was too poor to pay for their wedding dowry. Three young Christian women were facing a life of prostitution until Nicholas paid their dowry, thereby saving them from a horrible life of sexual slavery. And what you've actually got is you've uh, got the... St Nicholas turns into a bishop and a saint and uh, he's just this really generous person. And there's a little bit of... uh, It's a bit of a struggle to actually work out what's actually true about St Nicholas and what's not. Most of this stuff seems pretty solid. In fact, there was a council uh, where a whole bunch of people in in the church at the time got together called the Council of Nicaea. And one of the big decisions that they were going to make at that council was on the deity of Jesus Christ, whether he was God or whether he was just a man. And what's really interesting in it is uh, it looks like St. Nicholas was actually a really key player in going along there and just saying, Jesus is God. And he, he, was, he kind of got into it, all right? Now, the weird thing is that most people who talk about Santa aren't going to have any idea probably about some of these truths. Yeah, that would be weird, wouldn't it, if you just went up to people and said, you know, this Santa thing, it all came from this guy, St. Nicholas, that just loved Jesus like crazy. That could be redemptive. That could actually create some conversations with other people. But that's probably about as far as we can go in terms of redeeming Santa. We, uh, in our house, we don't do Santa, all right? We, uh, I'll, I'll, tell you this short, I'll tell you this little story. Uh, one of our boys, who'll remain nameless, so don't assume it's my oldest one, but one of my boys, who'll remain nameless, early this year, he, um, we get this message from, uh, Ange gets this message from the teacher. He says, look, we had a bit of an issue with, with your son today, uh, which has happened a few times this, this year. Don't think, think our boys are perfect. They're as evil as their parents. All right? Just not quite as redeemed as they're going to be. All right? Anyway, so the teacher says, look, there's a couple of, there was just an issue with your son today. And just going, Andrew's just going, okay, yeah, what, what, what's it, what was it? And I said, uh, he's going around telling everyone that Santa's dead in his class, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we're, we're horrified. We're just going, this is, imagine that. Lower primary kids, they just, they live for it. They live for Santa and he's kicking around just going, he's dead, man. He's gone. <laughs> All right. And so Ange, I got home and Ange goes, Pete, we've got a bit of a situation, right? One of our sons has been kicking around telling people Santa's dead and we're just going, oh man, I, like, I'm thinking these kids just in tears uh, over in the lower primary area over there and they're just going, they're tearing their hair out. And they said, what are we going to do with this kid? So after dinner we said, Caleb, just come and sit down and uh, have a bit of a yarn with us because we're not kind of the reject Santa kind of people, right? But we don't, we don't do Santa because there's, seriously, 
from our point of view, and I think probably from a biblical point of view, it's pretty dodgy to lie to someone about something for a long time and then them to find out from their mates that you're lying about it. Well, that's weird. All right? And we just don't... I think John Piper said that Santa's actually the most legendary old father in the sky. And what happens when the parents talk lie about the old father in the sky, Santa Claus, and then they try to tell them about the real father in the sky? It just gets weird. But anyway, so we sit down with Caleb and we say, listen, mate, we've just been told by your teacher that you were um, telling kids that Santa was dead. He goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, they just love him too much. They love him more than Jesus. I'm just going, I'm thinking, this is getting good. He goes, and then they just talk about presents all the time. He said, that's all they want. They just want Santa and presents and they don't even like Jesus that much. And I shake his hand. Good on you, son. <laughs> all right. Which was weird because it was going to create trouble at the school and I work at the school and that's all really weird. But I, I just thought, you know what he's done? He's actually found out that his mates have got Santa and gift idolatry. That's what he's got. And he said to them, don't follow Santa and gifts. Stop doing that. That's not the most important thing in the world. So at the end of it, we did not scold him. We did not correct him. Because all the way along, let me help you to understand, all the way along, we've been saying to him, Santa was this really cool guy. They gave lots of gifts to kids, but he's dead now. So he goes to school and tells everyone he's dead, all right? Which is awkward and weird, but he's right on, all right? And the weird thing is, I'm just, here we go, this is my little wind session, right? The weird thing is that the parents that tell the truth get made feel uncomfortable by the ones that don't to their kids. I'm just going, well, I'm not doing that. So I'm really glad about it. I'm glad that he went out and started telling people he's dead. Now, he could do it a different way. But it's good, all right? So here's it. that's one way you can redeem Santa. What else can we do with Santa? Well, the weird thing about Santa, and this is something I've been thinking about the last couple of days, is why do people invent legends? Why do we add to stuff and turn it into a legend and add stuff that's not true? And I suspect it's probably because we want to turn something into what we want it to look like. Um, and, and this thing's probably just going to permeate through the rest of our time because the reality is that Santa, in his true form of St Nicholas, is way different to what everyone thinks Santa is now. Agreed? And it's because there's, we've overlaid all this other stuff over the top of it and uh, all of a sudden he's not looking like he originally looked like. I'm going to skip through a couple, I think. Well, here's a couple of things. It's confusing for kids because Santa's omniscient. He actually sees everything, apparently. You can see everything everywhere. He actually rewards you if you're good. But then on Christmas night, he goes around and he gives presents to all the kids that weren't good anyway. Like, that's weird. That's confusing if you're a kid. Uh, he's omnipresent, which means in one night, he can actually be everywhere. And this is one I love. He's overweight, but he never seems to have heart troubles, even though he has an extreme 30 hours once a year. You're going, it's only 24, isn't it? Well, if he goes fast enough, he buys some time, all right? Apparently, he can go fast enough, but it's a very, very strenuous night for him, and he never ends up in hospital, which is amazing. That's very confusing. So the way that I want to finish is uh, I actually want to shame the cultural legends of Santa, all right? So I don't know, you guys have just walked in. I hope this is going to be okay. Um, Shame the cultural legend... Uh, with Jesus and this is what we tell our boys we say seriously all the cool things everyone says about Santa like seriously he, he kind of sucks compared to Jesus all right 
He's just, just, he's average. He's not even average. He's just, he's, he's an average average. That's what he is. So let's, uh, let's go a few rounds between Jesus and Santa. These are the two Christmas guys. All right? So let's put them in the ring together. I'll have a bout to the death and see who wins. Okay? Let's start with this one. Santa actually needs a sleigh and a reindeer. Albeit very tricky and fast reindeer, he still needs a sleigh and a reindeer. Agreed? If you read Psalm 104 verse 3, you find out Jesus can just ride on clouds. In fact, he doesn't even need to ride on clouds. I had this conversation with one of my boys the other day where he said he reckons he could beat Jesus in a race. (laughs) You're not beating him in a race, all right? Because he doesn't even need to run. He's just not even a second to just think I'm going to be there. Anyway, Psalm 104 verse 3 says, He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. All righty, so that's round one. Jesus only needs cloud. Round two, between Jesus and Santa. Santa arrives and leaves without your knowledge. It's the way it works. He shows up. If you're awake, he's not coming. If you're asleep, he comes and uh, he leaves his stuff, eats all your food and uh, gets a, doesn't get a heart attack. Milk and cookies. Imagine that. That's like maybe two billion milk and cookies over the world if everyone's leaving him out for him. But he's still healthy, apparently. All the people who are overweight are just going, yeah, see, we should follow Santa instead of Jesus. The Santa arrives and leaves without your knowledge. Here's the thing about Jesus. He actually never leaves you. And he wants to stay with you and be present with you. And we actually see this in uh, Hebrews 13, verse 5. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So it's two rounds to Jesus, agreed? He's got two. Third round. Santa lives at the North Pole 364 days a year. Cool. Jesus is always everywhere, all the time. What good is Santa every other day of the year outside Christmas? He's not good for anything, really. He's only good to make me presents. Psalm 139 verse 7, David says, uh, the psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? What he's saying is you can't. You can't get away from him. Which actually means when you end up in the dodgiest place, God is right there with you. It's not like you've got to conjure him up and do some sort of funky dance or something. Uh, He's just there. He's there all the time. When it's really, really difficult and when it's really, really good. And every time in between, he's there. He's right there with you. Three rounds to Jesus. You know where this is going, don't you? Round four. The original Santa is dead. All right? St. Nick is dead. Check this out. Jesus rose from the grave and now death is dead. That's not a points decision. That's a KO. All right? It is not a points decision. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Death will be swallowed up in victory. When Jesus dies and rises from the dead, he kills death for everyone who loves him. And it's just like this shadow thing that you've got to go through now instead of this horrific thing. It's just not as bad as what it used to be. Four rounds to Jesus. Round five. Santa gives gifts once a year. Jesus gives you himself for the whole year, which is the best gift you're ever going to get. And good gifts when you ask him. 
Matthew 7, verse 9, Which of you, if the son, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you need something good, you ask Dad. That's what you do. And Jesus is saying, he will give you something good. Now, it won't always fit into your definition of what good is. Because sometimes... A lot of us, I assume, would know that there's some things in our lives that probably aren't going to get purged out if something hard or something that we need to have endurance in actually comes upon us. And instinctively we say in those times, that is not good. I don't like that. I don't like you doing that. I don't think you need to do that. But he's smarter than me. And so at some level, absolutely. Do I pray for healing? Do I pray for release and for God to get me out of something that's really hard? You can pray for that. But there's going to be times where the answer you're going to get is tough it out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. It's not like God will get you out of there. Sometimes he does. But mostly with temptation and testing and trial, God's plan is that you would actually get strong enough through him to stand up under it and persevere through it as opposed to getting out of it. So you just got to remember that God's gifts are good gifts. All of them are good gifts, even when they don't look like a good gift. Five rounds to Jesus. Round six. Santa won't give you a present if you've been bad. You better, not, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. See, probably if Santa's real, most of us are in trouble with this verse, agreed? It's uh, probably through the year, we've pouted, we've been angry, we've probably cried, chucked a few tannies, they look a bit different to kids, but we've chucked our tannies over the year, Santa Claus is coming to town. And one of the big ideas out of this round here is there's no gospel in Santa, There's no good news there, is there? Because no one's actually good enough, ultimately, for Santa. Because everyone's done it. This is bad, see? And this is the thing. This is why at Christmas time, with people in the shops and and with kids that you meet, when they all start talking about Santa, you just, on the inside, you want to be going, but he's not that good. He's average. Maybe not even average. He's not that good. Stop going off about him. The weird thing is, Jesus only visits those who admit they are bad. So the criteria for Santa is you've got to be, you've got to be good, you've got to get all your ducks in a row. Jesus goes, people who don't, can't even find their ducks, I'll go to their place, <laughs> alright? They're not even not in a row, I don't even know where they went. They're probably on the highway, they got run over by cars, sorry for the nature lovers. I'm going to that guy, or that girl. They, they, they realise that they're actually a mess. Matthew 9 verse 10 to 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, when the church people saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He's getting a bad reputation. You hang out with people like that. Bad company corrupts. Good morals. Jesus, what are you doing? What does Jesus say? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Santa goes to the good people. Jesus says, I'm going to the bad people. That's who I'm after. I'll go and hang out with them. Romans 5 verse 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the gospel's about. There's a huge amount of gospel in the gospel. Agreed? It's good news. So, like, shame Santa. This is really what I'm asking you to do. Go out and shame him, all right? Not say Santa's a bad person, but just say, man, he's pretty pathetic next to Jesus. Seriously. He's, he's not even getting close. Bono from U2 said this, I'd say that if Jesus Christ, sorry, I'd say that if Jesus Christ was here on earth today, you'd find him in a gay bar in San Francisco. He'd be working with people suffering from AIDS. These people are the new lepers, just like the turn of BC AD. Don't touch them, walk away from them. If you want to find out where Jesus would be hanging out, it'll always be with the lepers. That's not Santa. Santa doesn't do that. Six rounds to Jesus. Round seven, Jesus versus Santa. Santa's gifts depend on your goodness. Here's a tricky one. Jesus' gifts depend on his goodness. You see, Jesus dies on the cross and his death on the cross provides the basis upon which God can give you good gifts. It's not actually anything that you do, it's what he's already done. And you see this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So a transaction takes place and you get all of Christ's righteousness. Amen? Is this good? You do. And it's not that you're just even forgiven. You actually, all of a sudden, people are going, oh, Jordan, he's the guy who never, ever lies. On judgment day, that's what God's going to be saying. Jordan never lied. He always told the truth because that's what Christ did. And Jordan gets Christ's righteousness. And Pat, same with Pat. They'll say, Pat, he never lost his temper, that guy, ever in his whole life, and he always loved people the way that they should be loved. On judgment day, that will be said of Pat. Why? Because all of Christ's righteousness got credited to Pat's account. And it's the case for all of us who trust in Christ. Way better than Santa. Seven rounds to Jesus. Round eight. Santa never helps you to be good. You notice that? He just doesn't. You've got to be good. I'll reward you if you're good, but I'm not going to help you. Because he's stuck in the North Pole for 364 days. All right? How's he going to help you? He's one man in one place. Jesus gives you a helper. And we actually find this in John 14, 16. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. At which point anyone who knows their own heart and knows Jesus thinks, I'm never going to make it. But immediately after that, what does Jesus say? I'm going to pray to the Father. And he will give you another helper that will stay with you forever. Holy Spirit. So when you're sitting there and you're just under, I guess, condemnation or guilt or conviction and you're just going, I don't know how I'm ever going to get things right with God, God says, here's the deal. You were never meant to do it on, do it on your own. You are meant to do it with me in you, bringing it about way better than Santa. Last round, Jesus versus Santa. This is a really interesting picture that I found this morning. See, Santa's dying on a cross up there. 
Uh, the story went on this website. They were reporting on a Japanese department store that was trying to adopt some Western tradition. And what do they do? They try to get Christmas in, but they try to get a spiritual kind of side to it, and they think that what you do is you put Santa on a cross. Interesting. Truth is, Santa actually didn't ever die for anyone. He just didn't. Jesus died for everyone. This is a KO. It's probably a KO about the first or the second round. All right? Um, But it's a KO. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, which is Jesus, traded himself for the unrighteous. Unrighteous to bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.14. We are convinced that one, Jesus, died for all. He's way better. He's way, way, way better. And I just encourage you to let that overflow. Let your, your uh, impressed reaction to Christ overflow over December and talk to people about it and just bubble over. And, just, and not like you make it this corny, religious, tacky kind of thing, but you just go, yeah, I guess he's all right. But what about Jesus? Like, isn't Christmas about him too? And he's like way better. He hangs out with bad people. Man, it'd be cool if we had some Santa conversations with people. At best, compared to Jesus, Santa's lame. Even if he was real. Agreed? Even if he was around, even if he did live at the North Pole, and even if he did bring presents to people who were good, he's still lame. Here's where I want to finish. Santa and religion. I actually think there's something in common between Santa and world religions. And it's the difference between do and done. If you look at world religions, and I'm not talking about us and what we believe, I'm just looking at Jesus and the way he presents in the gospel and world religions, including, and I'm putting in world religions, legalistic Christianity. All right? If you look at world religions, by and large, you have to do something to please the deity. Or you have to do something, you have to work really, really hard to get somewhere. Um, I mean, this is the case with, with Muslims, with them giving themselves and giving their lives. It's them making a sacrifice, hoping that Allah will accept them. If you actually look into the history of Buddha, you actually find Buddha at one point in time in his life, um, you could actually push fingers from either side of his body and they would touch in the middle of his body because he went down to eating one grain of rice a day. Why did he do it? He did it to actually get to Nirvana. Because the way in Buddhism that you actually get to nirvana is you deny or uh, you don't indulge in any desire that you have because suffering in the Buddhist framework actually comes from unfulfilled desires. So you just don't have any anymore. That's the way that you get out of it. So if you look at, uh, at system after system, the one thing that actually is in common is that there's something that you have to grit your teeth and you have to do to please the deity. Christianity... The Jesus version, the Jesus gospel says there's nothing that you have to do. It's all been done. You do because it's been done. That's why you do it. And you don't do to make him love you. You do because he does love you. It's done. So it's the difference between do and done. I might pray and uh, we'll finish here. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, being a legend in the true sense. You are amazing. 
And God, I pray that you would help us all to overflow to people around us with your grandeur and how great you are. God, this is our big excuse this year, at this time of the year, to talk about you. Because Christmas ultimately is about you. That's where it all started. It started with you. And it started with a guy called St. Nicholas who loved you. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to redeem Santa. I pray that there'd be really good opportunities where we don't trash talk Santa, but we just talk so well about Jesus that Santa looks lame to people around us. I pray that you'd help us to engage well with our culture and all of those little moments that happen in our culture where people say things about Christmas and what the true meaning of it is. Pray that you give us wisdom, Holy Spirit, fill us and lead us and help us to say really, really good things and to sow uh, bountifully, to sow uh, generously around the place the truth about you.